point is, Jesus is the resurrection who gives life now and forever. Okay, Bible meets life. Someone read that on page 38, please. It happens every April. Thousands of baseball fans tell themselves, this is the year my team wins the pennant. Within a matter of months, however, the number of fans who hang on to that optimism will be slashed. But they'll all be back again next year to borrow from Alexander Pope, who hoped springs eternal. Faltering hope is far more serious in other areas of life. For example, when someone dies whom we deeply love or on whom we've depended, we may feel we've lost all hope. Or when cancer comes to our own door, we can become paralyzed with hopelessness. These situations may seem hopeless, but Jesus' resurrection provides hope for ultimate victory, victory over death. While death is inevitable, it doesn't have to be our final reality. We can live again. We can experience an abundant life forever. Jesus shows us how. Okay. So let's be thoughtfully in prayer as we go into the study today and, and look at the story of, of hope that is, is, that is expressed in the life of, of Lazarus and Martha. Okay, someone read the uh, passages on uh, page 39, please, seven to, 17 to 23. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Then he was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told him. 24. Go to 24. Oh. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, so the account of Lazarus recorded only in the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is the only place we see this account. Was a crucial event uh, preceding the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. After receiving the news of Lazarus illness and more than likely he was informed of the extent of the illness as well. Jesus delayed two days before making any plans to go to visit his close friend in Judea. Uh, because of the danger that was awaiting him, it, was, wasn't, it was common knowledge that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. And so because of the danger that, that was uh, in the air, the disciples were they were astonished, they were amazed that he would even go there. You know, because everybody knew, they all knew among themselves that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. And so we learned that Jesus delayed so he could work God's glory for the sake of the faith of his disciples. That's why he stayed. He wanted their faith to be impacted by whatever happened when he got there. 
And that was the reason behind his delay. Verse 17, we, we know that as Jesus, as Jesus understood, Lazarus was already dead, right? When he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Okay, four days. Now, four days is significant. Uh, in, especially in later Jewish tradition, if it be traced back to the first century. Rabbis, during that time, entertained the idea, or they believed that the spirit of a dead person hovered near the body for three days. It was their belief, seeking to return. Okay? Four days dead, and later rabbinic tradition was really, really dead. Okay, so three days is a possibility that the person may come back to life. Now we've heard stories in the news of persons who were actually being buried, you know, and they came back to life in the cemetery. I think I saw a video somewhere where a fellow was in the cemetery in the coffin, and they were they were they were doing the graveside service, and he got up. And you can imagine what happened, right? Everybody's <laughs> The graveyard was empty in seconds. Now, I don't know where that happened, but uh, it was probably in one of those places where they don't do autopsies. Okay? Where they don't do autopsies. But the graveyard was empty. I mean, I saw people who, I, it, the size of those people didn't look like they could run that fast. But they were making some speed. Okay, four days dead, and later rabbinic tradition meant that the person was really dead. It meant that truly they were dead. Three days, maybe not. But four days meant they were dead without any chance of, you know, coming back to life or being revived or anything like that. Uh, Bethany was only about two miles away and uh, it was an interesting detail because it would give persons who were close to the family uh, an opportunity to go and visit with them. Okay, let's look at uh, the question number two. What do our responses to tragedy reveal about our expectations of God? Okay, we see Mary mentioned to Jesus, Lord, if you were here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. What are our expectations? What are our responses to tragedy? Uh, what, are, what do our responses to tragedy, whenever someone dies, especially a tragic death, uh, how does, what, did that, what does that reveal to us about our expectations of God? Uh, I think when you say it's different from when you're not. When you're not saying yourself and die, you go all pieces. When you're not saying you go all pieces, once you know the Lord, you are happy because you know now they've gone home, a better place. So it's different from when you're uh, I say it's different from the same. Okay. Anybody else? Can we repeat that? I didn't hear you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we, we hear that expression a lot. You know, where was God when this happened? You know? Or why did God let this happen? 
And someone gave a response that to that question, where was God when this happened? They said God was the same place he was when his son was dying on the cross. Right? Um, okay, let's look at the, uh, the paragraphs on page uh, 40. Lazarus had been sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, were devoted followers of Jesus, so they sent a message to him, hoping for a miraculous cure. Jesus delayed in coming, however, only arriving after Lazarus had been in tomb four days. The time frame is significant because Jewish folklore claimed a person's spirit hovered around the body for three days before departing for the afterlife. Therefore, anything Jesus did after arriving would be recognized as truly miraculous. When Martha reached Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Her statement may sound like a rebuke, but her next statement helps us understand what she meant. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's initial, initial words were more a statement of fact than a rebuke. She said in essence, I know you have the power, have power over disease, and if you had arrived in time, I know you could have healed my brother. In response to Martha's comments, Jesus bluntly predicted, your brother will rise again. This should have been shocking to Martha, but she took it in stride. That's because she heard Jesus' words in the context of the common doctrine taught by the Pharisees of her day. Martha believed in a generic resurrection at a future point in time, at the last day, when God would reveal his power over death. She had no real expectation Jesus would do anything more to help Lazarus. In a sense, Martha's beliefs about the afterlife could be boiled down to the simple idea that at some point in the future, everything would work out for the best. This notion is similar to what the majority of people believe about the afterlife today. Most people in our culture hope for some sort of life after death, some kind of heaven. This is a generic hope grounded more in a human sense of right and wrong, and an overall positive outlook on life than in God's word. Sadly, this kind of generic, don't worry, be happy, universalism is without substance. It brings false hope, which really mean, which really is no hope at all. Jesus has something better in mind for his followers. He has something better in mind for you. Okay. Notice. <laughs> this generic, most people in our culture hope for some sort of life after death. Some kind of heaven. And it says, this is a generic hope grounded more in a human sense of right and wrong, in an overall positive outlook on life than in God's word. Okay, so people's thoughts about the afterlife most times is not grounded in what the word of God says about the afterlife, but it's grounded in a generic hope that people have, oh, we're going to see him again, you know. Uh, sadly, this kind of generic don't worry, be happy, universalism is without substance. It brings false hope. And that's why we need to be in prayer, because a lot of people today have false hope about the afterlife. And sadly, sadly enough, that's what Satan is counting on. So many people are going to end up in a Christless eternity because of this generic 
hope that uh, that that's more grounded in the sense of right and wrong than in the word of God. And so it's just very important that we keep that in mind and do all that we can to uh, erase this false hope that people are looking forward to uh, in this world that we are living in. Some people think that if you all oh, you're good and you do some good works during this life, then God will smile on you, and you'll probably, uh, you know, have, a, have, a, have an opportunity. It doesn't work that way. Okay, we have some images in the activity on uh, hope of heaven on page 41. Um, which of the following images best represents what you hope to experience in heaven? <coughs> Glorious. Huh? Which one? Two bottom ones. The two bottom ones. Yeah, the beauty. The beauty and the... Tranquility. Okay. Okay, so we hope that we're going to be able to spend time worshiping God in the beauty and the splendor of heaven, right? In what ways have you already experienced the blessing of eternal life in Christ? In what ways have you already experienced the blessing of eternal life in Christ? Salvation, right? Knowing Him. Knowing that uh, you won't have to say, well, you, what, is, what does a Roman Catholic say when, they, when you talk to them about heaven? What is their response? Hmm? Purgatory, right? They say, I hope so. Most of them say, I hope so. Okay? And that's again based on generic hope that we just mentioned already. Okay, but there are a lot of people who are not sure of what, uh, whether they're going to go to heaven or not. And they do a lot of good works. They do a lot of good things and hoping that all those good works would pile up and credit to their account. Well, there's a rude awakening waiting for such people. Okay, we'll find Jesus' uh, next I am statement as we transition into verses 25, 26a. Someone read those two, please. Page 39. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, he'll live. Everyone who lives and believes in me, Okay, we'll never die ever. See that? <coughs> never die ever. And so Jesus made a stunning declaration in response to Martha's acknowledgement of the general belief in the resurrection of the dead. They'd never heard anything like that before. Okay? Uh, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. We have to allow for how shocking this statement would have been to Martha. No one had ever spoken of resurrection in this way before. No one had ever said resurrection was a person. Remember, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Nobody ever said that. Okay, resurrection traditionally was just an event to happen in the future that God would accomplish. That's what resurrection was in the minds of all those who lived in that day. Resurrection tied a person uh, resurrection tied to a person was a radical revolutionary thought. Okay, no one has ever thought like that. Notice three things about Jesus' statement that he made to Martha. First, Jesus spoke in the present tense. 
He did not say, I will be the resurrection and the life. What did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. The end time event Martha anticipated was indeed a future occurrence. But with Jesus, there was already a present reality in the resurrection and the life. Believers don't have to wait until the end time to experience the eternal life implied by the resurrection and life. We have it now. Okay? We experience that now in the eternal salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul tells the believers who are grieving, who are mourning, don't, don't, don't grieve and mourn as those who have no hope. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is, Jesus is the resurrection. This conveys to us the truth that Jesus, even prior to his own death and resurrection, had the power over death, necessary to negate death. Lazarus' death, Lazarus was dead, but death was no match for Jesus, who is the resurrection. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing is, Jesus is the life. Though closely associated with resurrection, life is yet distinct from it. Resurrection reflects power over death, but life reflects the quality of that existence. In the upper room, just a few chapters later, Jesus would gain emphasis, Jesus would again emphasize to the disciples that I am the life. That's in John chapter 14, verse 6. He had already told his followers that he had come to give life and to give it with great abundance in chapter 10 and verse 10. He had already said that. Those who follow him would have that resurrection and life from the moment they trust him for salvation, just like we have today. Jesus then put this radical truth on a radical basis. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Resurrection to eternal life does not just happen. Such resurrection is founded on the believing faith. But with that faith, even death does not end life itself. And that's what Jesus was saying to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die ever. Question number two, number three, on page 42. What does this I am statement teach us about Jesus' nature and character? Complete in him. Nothing could be added to it. Anybody else? Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 42. Someone want to read that? In verse 25, Jesus made his oldest and most direct claim about his power over life and death. I am the resurrection and the life. This is the fifth of Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. One, I am the resurrection. Jesus did not say, I can resurrect someone. He said, I am the resurrection. He overcame death by going through it himself and coming out alive on the other side. Two, I am the life. Jesus established his power to give life, not just quantity of life, 
forever. But quality of life, full and meaningful life now and forever. Jesus said, the means to access both resurrection and life is to believe in him. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Jesus challenged us to believe in him personally as the means to eternal life, both now and forever. We must place our faith in him alone. Mental agreement isn't enough. There is no substitute for personal faith. You must believe in Jesus. We often express personal faith in a prayer of commitment. You can find an example of this prayer on the inside front cover of this book. If you are willing to place total trust in Jesus, then tell him so honestly and earnestly in prayer. Jesus continues with a statement that almost sounds contradictory. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. The wonderful promise from Jesus' words is that physical death does not prevent us from experiencing eternal life. Life for the follower of Jesus, life for the follower of Christ continues even after physical death. In the glorified, resurrected body, when you believe in Jesus, you get the best in both worlds. You have meaningful, you have meaningful life now and eternal life with Him forever. Okay. Uh, notice uh, the I am statements there. Uh, I am the resurrection. Jesus did not say, I can resurrect someone. He said, I am the resurrection. He overcame death by going through it himself and coming out alive on the other side. And then the second statement, I am statement, mentioned there is, I am the life. He established his power to give life. Now notice, not just quantity of life, that is forever, but quality of life, full a meaningful life now and forever. And that's why he says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. God wants us to have a quality life. Most people in our world is more concerned about quantity. They want to have a lot of everything. Okay? God is concerned about quality. And even those persons who are concerned with quality combine that with quantity as well. You know, we were looking at the lavish palatial palace of Prince, who passed away on Thursday. You know, and nobody never seen inside that place before. He died, because that's the kind of private person that he was. But he wanted, he wanted quantity and quality, like most people in his, in his, uh, in his area. Okay. Question number four. How does Jesus' statement in verses, in these verses, produce hope? We have it eternally, life forever. Eternal okay. life forever. Eternal life forever. Okay. Uh, the question can be answered in several different from different different perspectives as well. How does Jesus' statement in these verses produce hope? for us as individuals? That's one question. Another way of rephrasing the question. How can it produce hope for us as individuals? We mentioned that because we have eternal life now, right? How does it produce hope for the church? 
how does it produce hope for the church? First of all, uh, when Jesus speaks, he doesn't speak about what might happen. He speaks about what things will happen. Okay. Therefore, when he speaks, he gives guarantee of what will take place. And that you have to do. Okay. Very good. Okay. Uh, final paragraph. Um, well, Jesus gives us an important affirmation uh, in verses 26a. He added a strong affirmation to his teaching. He claimed all who believe in him will never die ever. See that? All who believe in him will never die ever. Okay, let's look at the last verse. Jesus, uh, we'll see that Jesus asked a question that is both poignant and pra practical. The question that we will, that we all must answer. Verse 20, 26b. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she said to him, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Let's look at um, the paragraphs on page 43. Jesus asked Martha the correct question. Do you believe this? He wanted a straight answer to an honest question based on what he had just revealed. He wants the same for us as well. In the next scene of the story, Jesus, along with Mary and Martha and many of the other mourners, arrived at Lazarus' grave. Jesus was about to provide the ultimate object lesson to support his statement about being the resurrection and the life. At the tomb, he said, remove the stone. Martha's response was eminently practical. He's you note there. Jesus asked Martha a direct question, do you believe this? He wanted a straight answer to an honest question based on what he had just revealed. He wants the same from us as well. 
And then the second point is, the next scene of this story, Jesus along with Mary and Martha and many of other mourners arrived at Lazarus' grave. Jesus was about to provide the ultimate object lesson to support his statement about being the resurrection and the life. Tremendous object lesson. And then point number three, Jesus brought Lazarus out of the grave with power of his voice. He has the power to give life and to sustain it even through death. Jesus is your source of life, both now and forever. Interesting points uh, that come out of that, those passages. Question number five. How does the hope of eternal life influence your daily decisions? How does the hope of eternal life influence your decisions that you make every day? Okay. Good. Anybody else? All right, let's look at uh, how we apply this. Again, the point of the whole lesson is Jesus is the resurrection who gives us life now and forever. Don't forget that. Look at page 44. How do we apply this lesson as we leave here today and go through the, the course of the week? We have a couple of options for putting this truth into practice. Number one, answer the question. Take some time to reflect on Jesus' question to Martha regarding his claim to be the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Answer that question for your own life. And then pray. Make a list of people within your sphere of influence who have not expressed faith in Jesus. Pray daily for each of those individuals by name. Okay? And then thirdly, initiate a conversation. In addition to praying for those who need to experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life, take the next step of initiating a spiritual conversation with someone on that list. Express what you've experienced in your own time as a follower of Christ and express your desire to see that person know Christ as well. So that's a challenge we have during the course of the week to apply this particular lesson. As we wrap up, we go back to the statement at the end. There's there may not be a war, there may not be, this may not be the year your favorite team wins a championship, but it can be the year you experience Jesus' resurrection power in a deeper and more meaningful way. Take the steps necessary to know where you stand with Christ and to help others encounter the one who offers life both now and forever. Amen?